Thank you for joining us for what is a special episode of Not Your Average Netizens. This is Ash, and before I get to what we have in store, Nat is with us for this recording. And as I mentioned, this is a very special episode because it is another interview episode. And our very esteemed guest this time around is a writer, broadcaster, and theater maker who has lived in Korea for the past 19 years and is currently the host of EBS Morning Special, Paul Matthews. Paul, welcome to the show. Hello, thank you for having me. Thank you. Um, thank you so much for um, following us on Twitter and showing your interest. I'm very flattered and, um, you know, we enjoy, you know, what you've done on social media as well and very impressed by, um, you know, what we've read and seen about you. So, um, you know, we think that you have a background and, and experiences that our listeners would be very interested in hearing about and, you know, we do as well. So, um, uh, as we get started, um, I just want to begin by um, asking you to just maybe introduce yourself a little bit to the listeners, just give a little bit about your background and what you do. Sure. Well, my name is Paul Matthews. I'm also sometimes known as Paul Ajoshi because I am an Ajoshi. And if you if you speak Korean, then you'll know that that's, that means I'm a middle-aged married man. <laughs> so, uh, so that's been my nickname for a long time, uh, and uh, well, that's what I am. I'm forty. I always get confused with my age because I go Korean age and English age. So I'm now uh, forty-one years old, English age, forty-two Korean, and I've been in Korea for almost twenty years. It'll be twenty years next year, wow. and uh, well, I'm very lucky to be here. I, I never expected to be in Korea. I had no plans to come here, but uh, I came here on tour with a show. I fell in love with a girl and, uh, well, I stayed here. So uh, it's it's very nice to be here and, well, very nice to talk to you today. And uh, it'll be interesting to see to see how I fit in because I'm not what you might call your average uh, K-pop fan. I'm a little <laughs> bit older. <laughs> uh, but I do, I do love what's happened with K-pop here in Korea. And uh, it, I'm connected to it because of my radio work. So I've mm -hmm. worked for the past maybe eight, nine years, uh, either as a guest or a host on various programs for TBS, EFM, for EBS and for Adirang Radio. Um, and so a lot of my work sometimes has meant that I've been connected with K-pop, whether that be uh, playing the music or talking with the fans or even discovering it for myself. Because I have to say, before I went on radio, I didn't have a big interest in K-pop. Um, it wasn't in my radar. And then because of my work, suddenly I found myself thrust into the world of K-pop and discovered that it was actually this brilliant, beautiful place filled with amazing artists and great music and incredible fans. Wow, great. That's awesome. So how did you come from living in Abingdon in the UK to traveling all the way to Korea and staying for over a decade? Well, um, I have to say, before I lived in Korea, I, I, I spent my first 16 years in Abingdon. And then at the age of 16, my family moved to Japan, to Yokohama. And I spent two years there going to high school and fell in love with Japan and had a wonderful time. And then came back to the UK to go to university. And at university, I met a Korean director. Uh, she was on the MA directing course and we did a show together. And then she asked me a couple of years later if I wanted to do another show, but this time do it in both London and Seoul. So I said, sure, why not? I like Japan. I had never been to Korea, had no interest in Korea, but I thought, hey, it's a free holiday. I get to do a show there. And uh, I came here and I was shocked because I assumed it was going to be very similar to Japan when in fact, it was a whole different country with a whole different culture. And I fell in love pretty much straight away with everything, with the food, with the people, with uh, the atmosphere, and fell in love with a girl. And when you fall in love with a girl, you do stupid things. And one of the stupid things I did was move to Korea to live without any proper plan or any, uh, uh, any idea of how I would work or what I would do. Wow. So you said you were shocked. 
when you first you know landed in Korea what were you sure. shocked by what was it the things about Korea that kind of made you kind of made you taken aback uh, I think first of all it was the difference in personality of people so in Japan everybody is very polite but quite distant sometimes so people are people are friendly but they they don't want to get to know you or then they're, they're not really interested in you whereas coming to Korea suddenly everybody was wanting to talk and wanting to uh, you know get to know me to help me um, I would go into a restaurant and I spoke almost no Korean but everybody was so friendly and I wasn't used to that in the UK I have to admit living in London most people aren't friendly to strangers but here in Korea everywhere I went whether it was on the bus on the subway in the market in the restaurant everybody was really lovely and everybody was passionate about passionate about what they did and that for me was really shocking to come into this culture that seemed so accepting of strangers and welcoming of visitors wow that that's really great i spent a year in korea and that was something that i noticed myself um you know people yeah. were very understanding of you know if you didn't understand the language you know they would try you know to work I mean, go through all the pain of working through a conversation with you just to help you find where something is in the grocery store. I mean, it, it was I was very surprised by that as well. Yes. Um, yeah, it's it, it's a wonderful thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you've definitely I've definitely heard many different things about Korea and Koreans and how they are very nationalistic and, you know, may have certain opinions of outsiders and, and people from different countries. But I will say that as far as my experience, I never, you know, maybe got some stares, if, you know, but most people were just kind of curious about where I was from. So, and, and that was yeah. basically your, your experience as well. Sure. I think if you're, if you're from the U S or you're from the UK or Europe and well, I'm, I'm a big hairy white man. <laughs> so, and, I, and, I, and I understand that, that I will be treated perhaps differently to foreigners who don't look like me. Mm -hmm. And uh, talking with friends who have had different experiences, I have to acknowledge that I'm privileged in mm -hmm. the sense that um, Korea's attitude towards the UK is really positive. They call it Chinsainara, the gentleman's country. Mm -hmm. So whenever somebody hears that I'm British, then their first thought is I'm a gentleman. Oh, okay. Interesting. I did not know that. Okay. <laughs> um, so how did the radio gig come about? Um, well, it started with blogging. Um, back about uh, 11, 12 years ago, blogs were really popular here in Korea, and I had my own blog. Um, it's still around, it's still up, but I don't update it much because I'm too busy now. Um, and that's where the, the name Paul Ajashi came from. I started using that as my handle on my blog and on Twitter. And uh, the blogging community here in Korea back then was quite close-knit. There were popular bloggers, and we all sort of knew each other, and we'd all comment on each other's posts. And uh, there were various projects that would get started. There were people trying to get uh, books written together. And I met um, a fantastic woman named Cynthia, who was sort of involved in, in that social media scene, and she was guesting on a radio show. And she actually suggested me as a guest. So it was through all these blogging connections that I ended up uh, being a weekly guest on TBS EFM on a morning show. And then uh, that finished and suddenly I got a call from Adidan because the writer had been working for TBS and it had switched companies. And then I was uh, working as a guest there for quite a few years. And then I got a call to get an audition to get my own show. So I've been very, very lucky in terms of falling into it. Um, you know, I'm, I work as a theater professional. That's my main gig. My main job is basically making, making plays, making musicals, telling stories. And the radio was never, never planned. But when it came along, I realized how much fun it was to do. It was a, a really enjoyable experience to be able to share stories on the radio. And then becoming a host, I found this wonderful feeling of being able to connect with people in the same way that we connect on social media and we can chat together. But suddenly when you're the hub 
as it were, where people are listening to you and they're communicating through you. There's a great sense of uh, empathy for other people. There's a sense of responsibility for your listeners. And there's a real pleasure in being able to connect to people every single day. And that, for me, has been an absolute joy. That's great. So as far as someone that's involved in theater, um, how do you feel about K-pop, especially when you first started um, the the gig about what were your impressions of it about the performance aspect of it just the whole you know some people love it some people you know hate it they think it's too fake it's too you know it's too rigid and some people love the the you know I mean in some ways there is a theatrical aspect to what you know k-pop idols do um what is your take on it um, well, I'm, I'll, I'll be brutally honest with you. Uh, before I was working on the radio, I was very dismissive of K-pop in the same way that I was very dismissive of Britpop as well, of uh, boy bands and girl bands. It just seemed to be very manufactured and it, it just it felt like it wasn't my thing. It wasn't meant for me. But then when I started working on radio and I was forced to listen to it for two hours a day, um, I suddenly got used to listening to K-pop and started to started to quite like it, started to quite enjoy listening to it and started to realize that it was much deeper than I'd, uh, I'd assumed, that my prejudices were wrong. And so I, I did a, a 180 turn, a 180 degree turn and um, became quite, you know, quite infused by K-pop. And the more mm-hmm. I learned about it, the more I could see the professionalism and the hard work that's gone into it. Mm-hmm. And um, meeting K-pop stars as well, they are the most earnest, the most friendly, and the most lovable people. They all want their, they all want to work hard. They all want to make good music and uh, you know good entertainment, and they all love their fans. Mm-hmm. And so, I think I think it's absolutely fantastic from a theatrical point of view. I think getting anybody interested in music and dance is really important. Mm-hmm. It's great to have an interest in the arts, to have a passion in the arts. And yes, there are some groups that are uh, too manufactured, but then you have other groups like, and I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to be cliched here, but BTS, for example, mm-hmm. the Bangtan Son um, who are absolutely incredible. Um, they they are a, a boy band that was put together, but they have become so much more than that. And it's quite funny when when I, I hear people comparing them to the Beatles, and uh, there are some big critics who say they're nothing like the Beatles. But in fact, I see a big connection. They they started out singing you know singing lovely lovely songs for for teenage audiences, but they've developed over the years into this fantastic power, uh, both in terms of music, in terms of social media, in terms of wanting to change the world. The whole, the whole um, idea of love yourself is so beautiful. You were talking about BTS um, and yes. uh, everything they've done and how impressed you are with them uh, and in general with idols and what they've done and, you know, what they do as a career and how much effort they put into it. Is that kind of what put you over the edge as far as kind of liking k-pop i mean you started off not being very impressed i mean throughout your time working in in radio was that kind of was that like the one thing that pushed you into finally accepting the you know accepting the music and accepting it as a um, legitimate genre i guess you could say some people don't say k-pop is a genre but was that it or was it something else well it was a combination of things for one when i was when i was working at adidang um and when i had my own show at adidang uh, for two hours every single day i would listen to uh, maybe somewhere somewhere like 10 to 15 k-pop songs because all we play on adidang is k-pop um so there was a brainwashing process you could say <laughs> where i um, because I, 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 in these days, we choose what we are exposed to. It's not like the old days when all we had was the radio. 
and you listened to what was on the radio. These days we've got, you know, iTunes or, or Google Play or whatever or YouTube Music and you make your playlist or you listen to the artist you want to listen to. Whereas working in radio, suddenly I, I had my headphones on and I was being exposed to what the producer wanted to play that day. And because of that, it, it was like being, being back as a teenager and listening to the radio where I didn't have a choice. And I was exposed to, to so many different kinds of K-pop. And I think it's interesting you talk about some people say K-pop's not a genre. And I'm actually one of those people who think that because I think K-pop is made up of lots of different genres of music. That you can look at K-pop as a as a as a as a as a particular a particular thing, but there's so many different voices and so many different kinds of uh, of music of singing coming out of various groups and solo artists. Um, and so I was listening to it and I was starting to appreciate it more and more. And then I was getting into it and I was watching the music videos because I wanted to do research. I was looking at performances and as a as a a theater maker, I understand how much time it takes to rehearse a dance. I've done musicals myself. I know how hard it is to learn mm. this routine or that routine and how hard it is to sing live and dance at the same time. And sometimes you can tell some groups are lip syncing, but there are some groups who you can see they are performing live and they're doing the most incredible performance. And so from a professional point of view, I, I could, I could, not not respect them i had to respect them for their for their artistry um and also it was in adirang i was getting to meet various artists um for example there was uh, ashley from ladies code was doing the show after me mm -hmm. so uh, every day we'd we'd say hello and then you know when she had a new single come out i would take a look and take a listen and uh appreciate for her as a person that she spent time doing that i had a one of my guests was dino sobe Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's not she's not too big, but she's had a few singles out and okay. she was just starting her K-pop career and um, she's been hosting KCON LA this weekend. Okay. Um, so she's she's going up in the world in terms of uh, her, her popularity. Um, but it was getting to see the behind story to her process and talking to her about where she was and what was going on. And so meeting artists in the industry, I think, had a big impact on me as well. And it was it was forcing me to throw away my prejudices because I think we all we are all prejudiced in many different ways. And it's very easy not to like something without getting involved with it, without learning about it. You just think that's not my thing or that's not my style or I don't like that. Whereas the older I get, the more I want to force myself into experiencing new aspects of culture and new aspects of art, watching a movie that isn't necessarily made for me, but might teach me something or reading a book that isn't aimed at me as a target market or listening to K-pop. Mm. All of these things will broaden my mind, will make me a better person, I believe. Mm. And so I think K-pop is amazing. And, it's, and I feel very supportive of young people from around the world and older people as well who suddenly find this connection to Korea through K-pop. Mm. Because as an immigrant, I understand what it is to fall in love with a country to and to want to be somewhere that is not your homeland. And so I feel, I feel great empathy for people who have developed this amazing connection to Korea just through music or just through their favorite artist. I think that is astounding. That's a really beautiful thing. Mm. So... Going on from that, since you've had a chance to really kind of get to know some of these idols and, um, you know, talk to people that are involved in the K-pop industry, it's interesting because as fans, you know, we often talk about things that are going on in the industry as complete outsiders. And from our vantage point, there with the stories about the contracts, the, the training methods, uh, the, you know, long training times, uh, some of the, you know, scandals that have come out about, you know, how management, some of them, how they treat some of the trainees, some of these companies, 
there are a lot of things, there are some things that, you know, come off as being troubling uh, as far as how the whole process is done. What is it like having some connection to the industry? Do you have an kind of an inside look into how that is is done and did you have any uh preconceptions about it you know beforehand and have you heard any of those you know similar things as far as how trainees are treated and you know there are some concerns about the whole I guess the industry as a whole and how, you know, the idols are kind of mass produced and kind of turned, churned out and, and spit out into this world of, you know, of this kind of fast paced world of, of being an idol and having to have these hectic schedules. So there, you know, there is some concern with some fans about, I guess, how, these performers are being treated. I mean, so is that something that you see? Um, it is, or is it in, in your opinion, do you just think it's, you know, how the, how it's done and you've never seen any kind of anything that any mistreatment or anything like that? Um, yeah, I can, uh, I'll put it this way. Um, the K-pop stars I've met and had time to talk to, I don't think have, had that experience or certainly haven't talked to me about that experience. However, mm-hmm. I am aware and I have, you know, I have read the stories and I've have heard stories about how people have been mistreated. And quite frankly, I think there is probably a lot of truth behind, you know, the, the, the talk that goes on in terms of uh, people being forced on diets, people being worked too hard. Uh, when you have K-pop stars fainting on stage because they're, they're being overworked and they're overstressed. I think that is happening, and I think it's very worrying, very troublesome, because abuse comes in many different forms, and um, and it's very easy for those in power to abuse people. Um, this is on a, a little bit of a tangent, but a, a, a very good friend of mine, um, uh, she actually is involved in the Me Too movement here in Korea, mm-hmm. um, because uh, she accused her director of having touched her inappropriately, and she's not the only one. Um, who he did that to. And so she's become a figurehead in some ways, and she's become very outspoken on on this kind of power abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's happening in the theater world too, uh, except that <laughs> the conditions are even worse in theater because mm-hmm. there's no money. Um, so I'm very aware that it is around. Um, and that means when I'm working, I because uh, I work sometimes just as an actor or as a broadcaster, but sometimes mm-hmm. I'm working as a director, as the person who's responsible for the care of people. Mm-hmm. And whenever I work in those situations, uh, my my company members and I, we are very conscious of how we behave and how we behave towards other people and making sure that everything is appropriate, mm-hmm. that um, that our workplace is one that is happy, that is fun, that is not abusive, that is uh, safe and caring. And it really, it shocks me that in 2019, you can have big companies who are abusing their artists in this way. Mm-hmm. Because without these artists, these companies would be nothing. But they treat them so poorly and, you know, pay them so little in some cases that it, I, I think it's disgraceful. Mm-hmm. And um, I think the whole industry needs a reform. And we've seen with what's happened with uh, Sunny and, and YG that there's there's a whole other side to K-pop that um, hasn't been out in the open and needs mm-hmm. to be out in the open. And if somebody has broken the law and if somebody has abused someone, either physically, uh, mentally or sexually or in any way, shape or form, they need to they need to be punished and they need to not be allowed to work in that kind of situation anymore. It's very simple. If you're if you're guilty of this, you do not deserve to be in this industry because this industry needs people who will support, who will nurture, who will care. Otherwise, otherwise, K-pop will die Mm. with anything where there is rot, where something wrong is happening, then it cannot be wholly successful. And there will be more problems to come unless 
things get sorted. And I really hope they do, because there are so many beautiful people working in K-pop, producing beautiful things, but um, but there are also other really terrible stories out there. Right. And with the whole Burning Sun scandal, being in Korea, what was it like being in the midst of all that? Um, Just 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 unbelievable. Um, You couldn't quite believe that it was happening. Uh, I know that, you know, we've had we've had K-pop stars getting in trouble for this or that or, you know, G-Dragon getting caught for marijuana use in Japan or whatever it was. Um, But this was something else. And, I, and the whole of Korea was talking about it. Um, and I think so many people were angry about it. And even more so as the police investigation sort of didn't seem to go anywhere. I know it's still ongoing and there are still stories coming out about the, is it, what's his name? Yang, Mr. Yang, um, uh, the head of YG. Oh, um, we just call him YG, but yeah, I think yeah, Yang Hong yeah, Suk. Yeah. Yeah. Young Young said so there's, you know, there are stories still coming out about this and that in his past. And um, I, I, you know, I, I have to be very careful. But if he is guilty and it certainly looks like he may be guilty of certain things, then he deserves to be punished. And I think a lot of people feel that way. But a lot of people are worried that because of corruption in the industry and also maybe to do with the legal system that um, that the bad guys will get away with it. And mm. um, and that's what people around me were talking about during the Burning Sun scandal. Some people were really cynical and skeptical and saying, well, no, nothing's going to happen. Nothing's going to change. It's always been like this. It always will be like this. Mm-hmm. Other people were more hopeful and I'm more hopeful. But mm. there's a there's a part of Korea and having lived in Korea, you probably would have, you know, sensed it. There's there's a darker side to some parts of Korea. Mm-hmm. If you go to Gangnam, there are places, uh, you know, in basements where businessmen gather and drink and other things happen. And it is accepted. It is allowed. People don't talk about the room salon culture, mm-hmm. for example. But we need to. And Korea needs to. And we all need to say we love Korea, but there are some things happening in Korea that do need to change. And mm-hmm. certainly that kind of culture, this this terrible club culture with the abuse of teenage girls, with, uh, you know, with uh, drug dealing, drug taking going on, um, with all these issues, it needs to be cleaned up. Um, it needs to be it needs to be changed for the better. And I'm still hopeful, but uh, I think a lot of people here are, you know, are worried that nothing will happen. Right. And so in general, do you feel like the the, the general feeling among the public is that, you know, I mean, is that K-pop is, I mean, do you feel like that the general feeling amongst the public has kind of changed toward K-pop at all? Like, I've heard from some sources that K-pop might be in Korea, not dying out, but in general, there's just this kind of like you kind of alluded to cynicism and with all of the scandals that have happened and then them kind of being the trade war with Japan and then everything um, with them, so many groups kind of targeting the U S that it's almost kind of losing steam there in a weird way. I mean, do you see that or? Well, I I think rather than losing steam, I think, I think, uh, you know, K-pop is not a fixed thing. K-pop mm-hmm. changes. If we go back to the 90s and we look at Soteji and the Boys, for example, and the kind of music they were producing, you know, they were the big hits at that time. Or you've got um, Kim Gun Mo or other artists like that who, when the 2000s came around, tastes changed again. And what is in style now will not necessarily be in style in 10, 15 years' time. And so I, I feel like we're going through um, another cycle in terms of K-pop. We saw it at the uh, mid nineties and then at the start of the two thousands. And I think um, in sort of 2010, around that time as well, where we have suddenly these big groups that were everything disappear, they break (laughs) up and it feels like K-pop is over. But in fact, it's just the start of a new cycle. The Mm -hmm. new groups are coming up and that sounds may change. Um, and I think we've seen we've seen so so much of growth in terms of uh, music within K-pop 
in the past 10 years, thanks to the internet, thanks to access to music from all over the world, I think we're seeing musical tastes widen and we're seeing K-pop artists taking a bit more of a risk and we're seeing a lot of collaborations with American artists as well or mm -hmm. American songwriters coming in to write for Korean groups. So mm -hmm. I, think, I think rather than K-pop dying out or struggling, I think we're going through another change. Mm -hmm. And that may be uncomfortable for those who like how it is at the moment, but I think we're going to see new things coming out and new groups coming out. And maybe K-pop will be completely different in 10 years' time, but that's not a bad thing. It's just for a new generation. Right. Um, do the public appear to be happy or proud that these acts are now promoting and getting attention in the U.S.? I mean, I've heard there's some ri weird rivalry um, in some areas between international and Korean fans. I heard some Korean fans call international fans, do they call them roaches? Or I, I don't know, some oh. some of them call them that or call them some something similar. Um, and there's been some jealousy because of, you know, groups, certain groups promoting certain songs in America or performing them in Korea and that sort of thing. Um, have you seen um, any general uh, reaction as far as this wave kind of refocusing on the U.S.? And do you think that with Japan um, and South Korea having these issues that there's going to be maybe more of a focus on like Western expansion um, and with these groups? Uh, yeah, I think I think that, that there are there are two kinds of fans in this case. There are those that are very happy about the expansion of K-pop into Europe and into the U.S. and elsewhere, and who are really excited. Like when um, when Blackpink would, did they go on uh, Jimmy Kimmel or yes. or the other Jimmy or yeah yeah and Jimmy Kimmel did, uh, yeah and Good Morning America and so on. Mm -hmm. I, you know, there are people around me who are really excited about that. It's like finally. K-pop has broken through into the mainstream. When when BTS is selling out Wembley Stadium two nights in a row, there are people who are cheering that. Mm -hmm. But then there are there are also those fans who think this is ours and you shouldn't get this. This is our thing, um, which comes in every culture in every fandom. There are people who who get upset when suddenly it becomes mainstream, when it becomes popular, because it was their secret, it was their special thing, mm -hmm. and they get a little bit bitter and a little bit twisted about it. And um, and to be honest, that's the immature attitude to have. Mm -hmm. um, we should be celebrating the fact that these these groups are, are spreading across the world. There is a part of it, though, that if the group is becoming too popular elsewhere, they stop performing regularly in Korea. And I can understand fans being angry about that. If their favorite group is spending too much time in the US, mm -hmm. then sure, you can feel frustrated. Um, in terms of Japan, uh, I, I don't think it's going to affect K-pop negatively. Mm -hmm. I think it's going to affect Japan very negatively mm. because because uh, Japan is going to be losing out in all senses. Um, and it, Japan is also proving that uh, that its political leaders are still racists who will not accept that uh, that Japan did some very bad things during the Second World War and during the occupation of Korea. And it reflects very badly on Shinzo Abe and, um, and others like him that they behave in this way. Korea will be very strong without Japan. Mm -hmm. And Japan has been great for K-pop, but Korea, quite honestly, doesn't need Japan. When I work at, worked at Arirang, the messages I got, I got maybe one or two messages from Japan, but most of my messages were coming from Southeast Asia, were coming from Europe, were coming from Africa. We're coming from the Middle East. We're coming from the U.S. They were not coming from Japan. Mm. The K-pop community is much bigger than one country, and um, it, I'm very sad to see to see what's happening with Korea and Japan. Um, mm. For one, I really like Japanese beer, and um, <laughs> and some places have stopped selling it. <laughs> but 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 it, it it is clearly a problem that Japan has. Um, as a nation, admitting what went on. And when you have the, the emperor, uh, again, uh, admitting culpability on uh, August 15th, on Kwangbok Chol, the Liberation Day, mm -hmm. um, but the 
the Prime Minister of Japan, Shinzo Abe, sending a tribute to uh, the Yasukuni Shrine, the shrine for war criminals, then uh, the, Japan is never going to be able to solve its problems without new leadership and without admitting its past mistakes. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I, I feel very positive for K-pop in the future. Um, I think that, that bands are going to have to be careful. One of the best pieces of news I heard this week was BTS taking a break. <laughs> right. I, I thought, thank God, finally, <laughs> please, get some rest. Um, because we can have too much of a good thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I look forward to their next album. But Korea and K-pop have this problem sometimes where bands feel the need to overproduce. So instead of one album, we get three albums which are all basically the same except the covers look different and there's maybe one or two tracks that are different. And I think that sometimes uh, K-pop groups can stretch themselves too far. Mm -hmm. And that's very dangerous, artistically speaking, because quality is more important than quantity. Mm -hmm. So for BTS to take a break is really good so that they can come back, you know, maybe in six months, maybe in a year and, um, and give us fantastic music again. And do you really see any of these groups making inroads in America as far as like BTS has been successful, right? But we kind of call them like the most famous boy group that no one knows because they're, they've, they've, <laughs> they've achieved so much. I mean, fame and there's a level of, uh, there's a level of fame where yes, they're famous and yes, they're, especially on the internet. You know, people know who they are, but mm. people don't know them, right? You you can't if you go up to a person, a person on the street in America, a random person, they're most likely not going to know who BTS is, or they may have heard them but not really know who they are. You know, they're still not really household names, and is I mean, you know, and I've heard BTS. You know, they've kind of made a decision that they're not really gonna focus too much on having English singles, or you know, you know, they're still gonna record in Korean. Like having English songs isn't a priority for them. I mean, so do you see that as like is that kind of fame? Because with BTS fans, there's kind of this whole thing where it's like we've got to be the most famous in the entire world, and you know we've got to reach the levels yeah. of like performing at the Super Bowl and that sort of thing. And with American culture and everything that's going on right now, uh, as far as um, you know, issues of race and immigration and all of this, it, there is genuine concern about how. And, and, you know, a great example is with the VMAs and the whole K-pop category and people being very yeah. angry about that. So there's this kind of feeling of are they going to be accepted as a mainstream act and can that actually happen? Um, you know, with BTS, it's like they're they've got all this fame and, and yet there's still an aspect of they're not really... They're famous, but they're not. <laughs> in yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know what you mean. Um, I, what are your, do you have thoughts on that? Well, I think I think the, the problem is that we're we're looking at the problem as if it was the year two thousand, mm -hmm. um, because what we've experienced in the last twenty years is a culture split. Um, thanks to the internet, you can you can choose to consume media online. Mm -hmm. Or you can consume media on the radio or consume media on network television or on cable television. Mm -hmm. There are lots of different ways where we can get that. Now, the average American who's over the age of 30 or over the age of 40, I'm guessing, is not consuming so much media from the Internet. They'll be watching their TV shows. They, they might have Netflix or Hulu or whatever, but they're, they're still involved with mainstream media. Whereas, and if, you, if you're okay, can I ask how old you are? I'm 32. <laughs> 32. So yes. You're within the generation that grew up with the internet. Mm -hmm. And that means that it is very natural for you to consume media online. So in terms of finding K-pop videos, in terms of, you know, watching live performances, that doesn't happen on your TV set. Or if it does, it's when your computer is linked to your TV. Um, and so I think that people like you or I, who consume media a lot on the internet know BTS very, very well. 
But those who are still living in the mainstream media world where they just sit in front of the TV and watch whatever is shown to them, they live a different life. Mm -hmm. And it's and so it's very difficult to make BTS, you know, famous to the mainstream media until they get on the mainstream media. But I think they're already incredibly famous. Oh, yes. Because there are there are so many millions of fans on the Internet who know them. And uh, and I think they are breaking through. They were on the Graham Norton show in the UK, which is the biggest chat show, um, performing and then chatting. And, uh, you know, they've, they've had some of that in the US. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to take time. And I think I think the other issue is going to be the inherent racism of Americans and British people when it comes to language. That, that generally speaking, uh, I, I think it's the same in America as it is in the UK. People generally don't want to watch movies with subtitles. Mm-hmm. They want it to be in English. They don't want to listen to songs that they don't understand. They want it to be in English. Mm-hmm. There is an inherent um, imperialism or racism that goes back um, for a long time because English was the um, the language, the, the lingua franca, the, 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 the language of, of literature, the language of, of music and Suddenly, you have these other cultures, other countries producing amazing content, but there are people who are so stuck in their ways, they're not willing to take a chance and listen or watch something that isn't in their own language. So I, th- I think there are, there are some hurdles to get over. But for me, I think BTS is already there and that BTS don't need the acknowledgement of mainstream media. Mm-hmm. BTS are selling out stadiums wherever they go. That for me is 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 a successful group right there. They mm-hmm. have fans all over the world. They're communicating all over the world. They spoke at the UN for goodness sakes. They are <laughs> they are one of the most famous groups in the world. And I think that maybe BTS fans need to take uh, a look at themselves and realize that actually they've already got what they want. Mm-hmm. The BTS is famous just because their parents don't know them, just because the man or woman on the street doesn't necessarily know them. That doesn't mean they're they're not famous. They right. are already incredibly famous. And and, you know, as someone very interested in me in media, I can see that. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Sai uh, with Kangnam Style, he was he was, you know, on mainstream TV in the US for maybe three, four weeks mm-hmm. and then disappeared. He had one hit song, Gangnam Style, outside of Korea. And that was it. BTS is different. BTS has been going strong internationally for, you know, quite a few years now mm-hmm. and will continue to do so. So right. I think, I think the one thing that hmm. they don't have is uh, they don't have the hit song yet. Um, and that that may come in the future. Um, I think especially sure. if they decide to do it in English. Um, well, they did have the song with um, Halsey, and I think that that was, you know, kind of a push forward to, you know, kind of introduce them a little bit into the public. But I think that is one difference where Psy, kind of interestingly enough, Psy was someone that you could come up, go to someone up on the street and be like, you know, this baby, who, yeah. you know, who's Psy? And be like, oh, yeah, that, but it wasn't, it definitely wasn't in the same manner. I mean, Psy was more of a meme. Uh, sort of sure. thing right yeah yeah whereas whereas everybody takes bts seriously mm-hmm. so Sai was a joke a great joke but he was a joke and it was it was a good laugh and that was it whereas bts are producing you know this amazing lyrical um melodic fantastic uh you know singles eps albums everything their content is is brilliant and their content is what will survive and i know what you mean about the hit song I think the other problem is that nowadays, because of the spread of media and because people don't buy music in the same way, mm-hmm. it's very difficult to get a hit single right. to get that number one because it, it doesn't work like it did 20 years ago. Um, mm-hmm. So it's for me, it's even more incredible that BTS has made it this far. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it really is. It's it's amazing to think of. I mean, one of my friends started out just kind of making fun of me for the K-pop thing. And then she started listening to it. And now she's, you know, huge, you know, 
BTS fan. She's older than I am. Um, you know, she calls herself the old army. But I mean, <laughs> you know, I live in a fairly small city in Virginia, in the U.S., and I'm starting to see little sprinkles of K-pop fans here and there. You know, I used to be the only person that I knew that you know listened to it, and it's starting to kind of slowly spread where you hear one person over here likes to listen to k-pop and one person over here likes to listen to k-pop so it's a very strange thing where it's almost like it's a niche but it's not um yeah it's it's a very interesting thing um seeing it grow that way i mean do you feel like you've seen it i mean have you seen it that kind of progression from where you've sat Sure, absolutely. It's it's been it's been fascinating to watch because there there is there is a certain obsession in Korea, not just in K-pop, but also in movies and TV, uh, in terms of wanting to break through to America. Um, and we have, for example, the filmmaker Shim uh, Shim Hyung Ne, mm-hmm. uh, who did the awful uh, film D War or Dragon War, <laughs> starring some very bad Hollywood actors. Um, <laughs> But his, his, his obsession has always been to break into Hollywood. And, um, and we have, you know, when Ma Dong-sok gets cast in a Marvel movie, then suddenly everybody's very, very excited. Mm-hmm. This, this whole um, will to break into America. And we saw it back with JYP and the Wonder Girls. Mm-hmm. Um, God, is, is that, when was that? Was that 11 years ago, maybe? That was maybe 2008, 2009. Yeah, I and... and it, they didn't really manage it. But at no. the time, there was so much buzz about, oh, my goodness, they're going to sing in English. Oh, my goodness, they're, you know, they're heading to America. Um, this is the big thing. And then with Sonia Shide with Girls' Generation as well, never quite, never quite happened. But little by little, this Korean wave that has you know, washed all over Asia is slowly but surely uh, coming to the shores of America. And it is a beautiful thing to watch a great culture spreading. I think English language culture has dominated so much of the world for so long um, that it's all—it's so amazing to see other cultures and other content being spread across in a, in a similar way, but but happening at the same time um, at a much rapid rate. Mm-hmm. And it makes me so happy that you know the country where which is now my home. You know, mm-hmm. I'm a I'm an immigrant here. I I will I will die here whenever that will be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that 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 this culture is being spread uh, in such a beautiful way, and the thing that I'm excited about is when when K-pop spreads and then K-movies spread, mm-hmm. then other aspects of Korean culture will spread too. We're seeing Korean food culture take mm-hmm. off in an amazing way in the United States and around Europe. You know, I, ten years ago, would a normal person know what kimchi was? No, maybe not. But now it's it's on. You know, Gordon Ramsay is talking about kimchi. Jamie Oliver is talking about kimchi. Everybody's talking about kimchi. <laughs> and people are talking about tenjang. They're talking about fermented soybean paste. Yeah. You know, who would have thought that would be possible? But Korean food is now, you know, the hot thing to eat, the hot thing to try. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I, for me, uh, and, and especially because I'm, I'm fascinating not just with, with K-pop and K-movies, but I love traditional Korean culture. And as a theater maker, I love traditional Korean stories. And with all this modern culture being spread, it also gives a chance for people to learn about the traditional culture. And I think that for me is even more important that we can introduce people to to the three-dimensional Korea. You know, K-pop is K-pop and K-movies is just one dimension, but there's mm-hmm. so much more to Korea. And uh, and when you live here, you experience that and you experience so many wonderful things. So getting more people interested and getting more people excited about Korea is a beautiful thing. And I can't wait to see what happens in the next 10 years, because I think that the, the Korean wave is going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, what <laughs> we, we talking going back to Japan, the Japanese wave was meant to be big, but Korea has already eclipsed Japan. Hmm. And uh, I think Korea is going to get even bigger. Um, so sorry, Japan, you've lost <laughs> the, K- the K-pop war or the J-pop war. <laughs> <laughs> well, you mentioned before that you've met some Korean uh, K-pop celebrities and, uh, you know, talked to them and, and gotten to know them. Um, 
Uh, do you have any stories about who you've met? Who was the nicest? Uh, any that you correspond with? Did you ever meet BTS? Um, One day I will meet J-Hope. One day. <laughs> um, but not, not yet. No, I'm, I mean, I, 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 I haven't met any of the big, big names in K-pop. Mm-hmm. The people I've, you know, uh, working at Arirang on a regular basis, I'd, I'd be introduced to various groups. I can't remember who they were. <laughs> so many. Um, but certainly, certainly, I, you know, I, getting to know Ashley from Ladies Code a little mm-hmm. bit was very interesting because she, she and her group have had a very hard time, if mm-hmm. you know the backstory, right? Um, mm-hmm. With that very tragic accident and being able to to start again. And, and last year, we saw Ladies Code reforming and making music and making videos on a on a small scale, but still. It's fantastic to see an older group being able to come back like that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, my my more um, personal contact, less K-pop, more K-movie stars. Because mm-hmm. working in the theatre world, um, I, you know, w- my second theatre job in Korea was. Do you know Lee Sung Yim? Yes. 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 So uh, I I was in a show with him. And had oh, a fantastic okay. Time. Okay. Uh, we, we did the Rocky Horror Show together, um, <laughs> and that was him with um, another TV star you might know, Orman Sok. Yes, uh, he mm-hmm. was in that as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Doctor Frankenfurter was played by Hong Rocky, who you probably don't know because he's yeah. a little older, but he was very big in the two thousands. Okay. So in my theatre career, I've had these amazing contacts, uh, and then in other shows with Park Hee-soon, the movie star, with Sung Ji He's also in movies. Yuhei Jin. Um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, oh, and what's her... Oh, excuse me. I have to remember her name. Uh, Kim Hesu as well. Having contact with these amazing stars. Some before they were famous at all. And some... I remember meeting uh, Kim Hesu, And she was very big at the time. But she was, she was the kindest, sweetest, most wonderful person to us. Mm-hmm. She came to see our shows several times. And was so supportive and so lovely. Um mm. Yeah, so my, my, my interactions are here and there. I can't give you any juicy stories about BTS, unfortunately. <laughs> well, have you ever wanted to work uh, deeper into the industry? Have you ever had a desire to, you know, being kind of connected with the radio show, have you ever had the desire to, and theater, of course, have you ever said, hey, I might want to work and, you know, more have a more integral role in the actual industry itself have you ever had those thoughts um i to be honest i think that would be awful uh, <laughs> i i think i think any role that i would play um would be would be too much work too much stress too much mm. pressure i'll leave it to the experts um <laughs> I, i've worked in tv before and i have to say working in tv was awful mm. um Everybody was running about. Everybody was stressed trying to get the show made, and it was it was really hard and not rewarding. Whereas mm. working in radio is a lot more relaxed, and working in theatre is uh, a whole different thing because mm. you're working as a tightly knit group, creating something that then goes out live every single day, uh, performing to different audiences, um, where every show is different. So I, I, I can't imagine myself ever being involved in K-pop uh, on an industry level. I'd love, um, you know, to host another show dedicated to K-pop and Korean culture. Mm-hmm. I'm very open to that. Um, mm-hmm. And as I said, I, I mentioned to you before about hopefully setting up a, a Korean culture K-pop podcast. Mm-hmm. That's something I'm interested in and spreading um, a, an Ajoshi's view of, uh, of where we are. I think that at the moment, though, because of all the scandals going on, it's uh, it's not quite the right time. Um, <laughs> I'd rather celebrate K-pop than condemn it. <laughs> That's great. So uh, you're obviously very into Korean culture. What is your favorite thing about Korean culture and your least favorite thing about Korean culture? Ooh, ooh, that's a very tricky question. <laughs> um, uh, I have to say that uh, my favorite thing about Korean culture has to be the traditional performing arts. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's something so wonderful and so magical about being in a courtyard and seeing these amazing dancers and drummers uh, lifting your spirit with their music. 
they uh, th- th- there's something about Korean performance because um, uh, if we compare Korean performance to Western performance, in Western performance traditionally theater is the proscenium arch. It's an actual theater with seats, mm-hmm. whereas Korean theater is the madang, the courtyard, where everybody's sitting on the ground, everybody's drinking makwali, everybody's having a party, and uh, they just happen to be watching a storyteller singing or they're watching people dancing, and it's absolutely beautiful. It's the best atmosphere. If you if you come back to Korea, and for anyone coming to Korea, seek out traditional performances, not in a theater, but go to some of these festivals where there's the Andong Mask Dance Festival, for example, every uh, September, October. There are other festivals around Korea where you can see these amazing traditional performers perform. And it is unlike anything else. And it's something that makes your spirit soar. It makes you feel so happy and you can't help but want to dance with them. Mm. Um, as for a bad aspect, um, well, it's what we talked about before, the the hidden side of Korea, the, the, the dirty side of Korea when it comes to room salons, when it comes to gangsters, when it comes to what is happening in the back streets or in the basements. That's a side of Korea I don't like. Mm. Um, and I wish that as a country, Korea would talk about it more and that Korea would find a way to make those aspects, I don't know, go away, disappear, change in some way. And a lot of it is a responsibility of men. And as a man, I have to recognize that, you know, men are the people visiting these room salons and these other places. And it's up to men to speak out and to say to other men, why are you doing this? You have a wife at home. You have children at home. Why are you doing this to them? Why is this part of your life? Why would you dare to do something so, so horrible like this? Mm-hmm. And that's an aspect of Korea, which is which which I really don't like. Mm. What is the most interesting or significant experience that you've had while in Korea? Um, oh, uh, OK, well, we can go. We, if you want the most significant, it was when I almost died. Oh. That was a good one. Um, <laughs> ab- <laughs> about three years ago. Uh, my wife and I, we bought our first apartment mm-hmm. in a small apartment building, and we were very excited. We moved in, and uh, we moved in in July, and uh, in September for Chuseok, for the Harvest Festival, or the Thanksgiving Festival, um, we were asleep, and then we woke up to the sound of a car alarm, and then the fire, al- <clears throat> excuse me, the fire alarm in the building started, and we went into the stairwell, And our neighbor said, get to the roof. And suddenly the stairwell was filled with black smoke and I was choking, made it to the roof. The flames were were coming up the sides of the building. And uh, luckily the fire brigade came in time and rescued us. And they were absolutely lovely. Um, But it turned out that um, uh, a drunk guy had got angry with his father who lived in the next building and decided to set fire to a car uh, in the car park of our building. So we all almost died, but we were rescued. So if you want significant, that's the most (laughs) significant thing that's happened to me. (laughs) Wow. Well, coming off of that, you said someone that was drunk set fire to a car. Um, Yeah. Coming off of that, what is your opinion about uh, Korea's uh, drinking culture? Uh, It's changed a lot and it's got a lot better. Mm. Uh, that we have these things called kweishiks, which are the, the office drinking parties. Mm-hmm. And they used to be compulsory. And even if you weren't a drinker, you had to drink. And you had to keep drinking. And you couldn't leave until your boss left. But mm-hmm. in the past decade or so, the culture has changed a lot. Uh, there are less of these occasions. And if you don't drink, that's okay. The pressure has been taken off. Mm-hmm. I think that Korea as a country, we do drink too much. But we also have a very good time when we drink. Drinking is very social. And drinking is all about the food, not just the alcohol. Um, and I think younger people are drinking a lot less. Mm. So we'll see what happens. But I love makoli. I love soju, <laughs> the good good soju. And uh, uh, I love aspects of the drinking culture. I think it's a great way to get to know people here in mm. Korea. As long as it's not forced, as long as it's not pressured, and if everybody's happy, it can be the most amazing time. 
Okay. You obviously identify very much with uh, Korea and the country, the culture, everything. Would you ever think of moving back to the UK or do you pretty much see yourself as, as a Korean citizen at this point? Um, well, first of all, have you seen what's happening in the UK right now <laughs> with Brexit? I, I'm not going to go back there. <laughs> no, I, I, I have no wish to, to move back to the UK. I'm happy to visit, happy to see my family. But um, the UK is, is a foreign country to me now. Hmm. Every time I go back, it seems less, less like my home. And now it's, I don't think it's my home at all. Um, so I'm here. I will become a Korean citizen at some point. Mm -hmm. um, uh, hopefully, hopefully in the next few years. Uh, and yes, Korea is my home and I will be happy to be a Korean citizen who will vote for a Korean president and who will hopefully make Korea a better place. And hopefully if North Korea and South Korea can come to some agreement, then I'd also love to make North Korea a better place at some point. Okay. Um, how are your Korean skills? Are you fluent? Semi-fluent? Uh, oh, um, I would I would say I'm semi-fluent. I can I can you know hold a normal conversation. I can't talk uh, too deeply about politics or history, but I work in Korean a lot. So mm -hmm. um, when I'm rehearsing with my actors, uh, very often that's 100% Korean. Mm -hmm. So uh, so yeah, I'm semi-fluent. I would say. Okay. How long did it take for you to kind of get to that point? <laughs> a long time. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's, I, I haven't had any formal teaching. Um, mm. I, never, I never studied in a school or anything like that. So it's just been picking it up as I, as I went along. The first mm. couple of years, I, I could only speak very basic Korean. But as each year goes by, my Korean gets better and better and better. Okay. Yeah, I felt that too. You kind of it, almost absorb it in a way. Yeah, being in that uh, atmosphere it, and just out of survival instinct, you kind of learn through trial and error um, and speaking to other people. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Okay, um, Nat, did you have any uh, questions for Paul? Or anything that you want to, to ask him? Not really, because you asked so many great questions and you had such a good uh, discussion, actually, about Korea and about K-pop and, you know, what Paul does in, in the theater and, and just sort of, I love that you guys touched on Me Too and, you know, everything that's going on politically as well in Korea. Uh, but, yeah, no, I actually, I think you answered some of some of the things that I, we discussed before too, so I'm good. <laughs> okay, great. I enjoyed just listening. <laughs> great. Um, Paul, do you have any projects or anything uh, significant coming up that you want to promote or bring up? Uh, well, you can you can listen to me every Monday morning, uh, Korea Time, 9 a.m. on EBS Morning Special. You can find that online, and there's an application, the EBS Bandy app. And from next week, you can listen to me every Wednesday morning, Korea time, 10.30 on TBS EFM on 10 every day. Uh, plus, if you're in Korea, um, come and see my theater company if we're performing. We're called Jambox Theater. And uh, hopefully we'll have some exciting projects coming up next year. Great. All right. Well, I want to thank um, Paul Matthews for joining us for this great discussion. Um, as always, um, you can find our episodes, including this one, on our SoundCloud at Not Your Average Netizens. Um, you can also um, see our um, episodes, um, interact with us, talk with us on Twitter at NYA, NYA Netizens. You can also drop us a line at notyouraveragenetizens at gmail.com. We're also on Instagram at notyouraveragenetizens. And we also have a Facebook page at notyouraveragenetizens. So um, stop by on our social media. Um, drop us a line. Uh, critique, criticize, whatever you want. Um, we'd love to hear what you have to say um, and what your thoughts are on this interview. Um, 
again, thank you for joining us and thank you listeners for um, engaging and just uh, being great fans. So um, thank you so much. And that's our episode. Bye, everyone. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>